message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Amen. Well, it is good to be back. Um, Jen and I were not here last Sunday. And um, did you guys enjoy Mark Slomka? He's going to share with us last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear him, he'll be on the podcast soon. And like I mentioned, he's one of my spiritual fathers. Uh, is so incredibly wise and gave an amazing message on forgiveness. Uh, and so if... Um, We've been in this series of conversations right now we're calling Heart Renovation, and we are in the specific uh, part of that conversation around what it means to become like Jesus. And we are kind of following the, the three ancient goals of following a rabbi or being an apprentice to a rabbi, that we would be with our rabbi, we'd be with Jesus, we'd become like Jesus, and that we will do what Jesus did. And we are ending today the segment on Become Like Jesus. And so that means next week we are going to kind of full-fledged dive into the kind of nearing the end of our series on Do What Jesus Did. And I'm really, really excited for this morning. This morning we get to conclude these conversations, but I have to just say this. In no way was this everything, right? And I think it's obvious to know. Uh, but it's, these are just us starting the idea that would take us the rest of our lives to begin to understand that our becoming like Jesus, our doing what Jesus did, comes from our being with him. This is why Lectio Divina journals are so big, or reading the Bible or spending time with him is so big, is because being with our rabbi ultimately leads to becoming like him. And so we've been talking the last few weeks about transformation. What does it mean to become like our rabbi, an apprentice under him, to take on his character? And so we've talked about um, when inconvenience comes in our life, that we're ready for the Holy Spirit to change us and to move us. We've talked about patience, the patience of God. We've talked about mercy. Uh, we've talked about forgiveness. And without us ever saying it, and maybe you guys have already picked this up, Everything we've shared, every characteristic of Jesus that we are trying to gain and absorb and emulate is all under the umbrella of love. So we have been looking at 1 Corinthians 13 without telling you, and we have been taking the characteristics of love and seeing how Jesus lived those out. Because as we conclude this section of our series, what does it mean to become like Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus is so brilliant and gracious that he would come to earth and not make things more complex, but to simplify them. Do you ever, do you ever just think about that? I, I've been overwhelmed with gratitude this week. I mean, have you ever, if you've ever read the whole of scripture, if you've ever had questions and what does this mean, how does this fit, that God, in knowing our struggles with the complexity of things, sends Jesus in the fullness of God to earth, and then Jesus comes and doesn't make things more complicated or confusing, but then he simplifies them even more. I mean, th think about just, just a couple of things. Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest series of teachings Jesus collectively gives at one time. He says this, so whatever you wish, and that word so is referring to 
In the previous section, he's summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. So, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This little verse is so provocative and profound that Jesus say all of the law and the prophets, and for those of you that's unfamiliar language, Jesus is saying the entire Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, all of it is summarized in treat others as you would want to be treated. We often refer to this as the golden rule. It's, it's you love people. And the word others, there's two Greek words for others. One of the Greek words for others means your tribe, your family, the people you know and that look like you and talk like you. That's not the Greek word he uses for others. The Greek word for others means everybody. Love every single person who doesn't look like you, talk like you, think like you. Love them as you would want to be loved. Treat them as you would want to be treated. Later on in Matthew's gospel in chapter 22, verses 36 through 30, it says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied with, two, with quoting two verses from the Torah, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I mean, I'm so, I am thankful for these passages because for me, sometimes I get overwhelmed. There's so much in scripture And Jesus takes the 613 laws found in the Torah, takes all of the prophecies and takes all of it and he says, listen, if you can take all of it and you can boil it down to one thing, it looks like this. It looks like love. You love God with every ounce of your being and you love your neighbor as yourself. If you're new to church, I'm glad you're here because this this may be a message you've heard before, but it's something we never master something we are continually needing to grow in and learn in. And this is where we come together as a church. If there's one thing we'd be known for is that we wouldn't be the church that's close to the beach, right? It wouldn't be the the church that looks like this or feels like it's the church. Oh, it's the church that loves people well, loves God with everything they're in. This is our aim because this is what Jesus said it's all about. So this morning, we are concluding this series on becoming like Jesus, a series of conversations just saying it all comes back to love, how we love God, how we love people. I want to tell you a story. When Right before we planted the church, I was up here at the H Street Lookout Point, and I was getting ready to prepare for my first message I would ever preach at Light Church. Kind of stressed, (laughs) really excited, Hadn't preached much in about a year and a half. And, and I sit down and I have my journal and my Bible and, and I come to this bench a little stressed out and frantic because it's one of those weeks where nothing seemed to go right. And I had planned to spend this whole day studying, but uh, after car trouble and things like that, I, just re- I ended up being like 3 p.m. I finally got to the bench where I was gonna study. And I'm disheartened because I don't have as much time as I wanted. And I've been short with my kids. I've been just kind of in a bad mood because I've just been stressing. And I get up to this point, I'm finally just kind of exhaling, like, I'm ready. 
I'm ready to spend time with God. And I get out my brand new Pilot G2 pen. Anyone? Yes? yes? It's the best. If you don't know, now you know. Go ahead. Pilot G2, 0.5, it's the best. I know it's debated, but you're wrong. Point, so I, I get out my brand, I mean, I just got a whole package, brand new Pilot G2, 0.5 pen, my brand new journal. I'm ready to write my first sermon for this new church. And I start writing down, and my pen doesn't work. And I, and I... And, I, and I'm faithful to the, the pilot GT, so this is the pen's fault, clearly, user error. So I'm, I'm scribbling harder, right? Like dab it on my tongue. I'm just, I'm like, and then the, the frustration that had kind of been building up to me just kind of explodes, and I just start scribbling on the page. I'm like, come on, God, I finally got a way to spend some time with you, and I can't even write. I have no way to record. And, and as I'm just kind of having this kind of silly, overwhelmed, frustrated moment, I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me, it's like, you're the pen. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, that's you. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so, did, so clearly, the Lord just said, read 1 Corinthians 13. And I was like, well, that's not what I'm preaching on, God. <laughs> it's like, read 1 Corinthians 13. And um, I opened up my Bible to a passage I've read a hundred times over, but within that moment, I started to read these things. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And it started to click for me. It start, everything started to align where I just realized, I'm like, well, I have been so preoccupied and busy with the work of God that I have forgot the most important ingredient. I was a pen that couldn't write. I had all the appearance and functionality of something with none of the substance. And it was the greatest reminder I could have had before starting this new venture called Light Church. It's about this. None of this matters. Hear me, none of this matters without love. So three points we're gonna be covering this morning as we conclude this. Number one is the significance of love that it must be how we measure everything. Number two, the substance of love, it must become our mission. And number three, the source of love, it must be our only motivator. Let's begin with the idea of the significance of love. So Paul opens up this section of the letter kind of with an abrupt uh, turn. So Paul's been writing to this, this letter to the Corinthian church. It's one of his harshest letters. Very honest, very blunt, and he gives a ton of correction. And he does it pastorally, does it with a good heart, but he is not uh, going light. And he's correcting behavior and thought patterns and theology. And, he's con- and, and he just finishes a whole chapter on spiritual gifts and how they were being used in the wrong way. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of chapter 12 and 14, these two chapters on spiritual gifts, he stops 
and just totally ch- changes the direction. And he goes back to something that's like, I can't keep talking about spiritual gifts until I talk about this. Keep in mind, this was a church obsessed with spiritual gifts, obsessed with hyper-spirituality, appearance, how things look. Does it look like I'm really being godly? And, and as he's doing this, Paul begins to start writing these words. If I speak in the tongues of men of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and clanging cymbal. But here's what's interesting. In the, if you look at the literature, Paul is now changing how he writes from third person to first person. So he's talking about, you do this. You do this with spiritual gifts. It's about this. You need to think about this. And then at the minute he starts talking about love, he starts using the first person, I. He's trying to tell the readers, this is for me too. I might have some some of these things down. I might be mature in some of these areas. But when it comes to love, this is for me too. And he begins to start describing him. He starts saying, he's like, hey, if, if I... If I can speak in in tongues of men and of angels, and it's this idea of eloquence, both spiritually and and in human terms, he says, but if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong. And this is what's interesting. The the reference he's using to a noisy gong would have been this, the the town of Corinth was famous for its bronze. Some of the the earliest uh, detections of mirrors come from Corinth because the bronze was so shiny, you could see your reflection. But one of the things they would use with Corinthian bronze is they would make these massive gongs or cymbals and they would begin their festivals and their parades by walking on the streets banging these cymbals. And what it was, it was a signal to the entire town, come on out and party. It's time for the parade. It's time for this. And so so Paul, using this mental picture for them, says, hey, listen, if I can speak with all eloquence, I can preach great sermons, I can speak in the the language of heaven itself. If I'm not doing it in love, I'm just like one of those loud, annoying party symbols, calling attention to myself and not to God. He then goes on, he starts talking about, it says, if I, if I can fathom all, all mysteries and all knowledge. Now keep in mind, this is in, this is in Greco-Roman times when the highest good was philosophy and thought Some of the most brilliant philosophers ever born came from this time. And so you can imagine he's talking to people who value um, intellect. They value your ability to reason. I says, listen, if if I can fathom everything, if I know everything and I have not love, I'm nothing. And then he goes and starts talking about kind of spiritual works and deeds. And this is why this is so important because we're about to start the, the last kind of section of our series on doing what Jesus did. But Paul warns us, if I give up my body to be burned, which is a reference to martyrdom, if, if I am living sacrificially to the greatest extreme, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You see, it, it's possible to have this intimate and eloquent prayer life, this amazing ability to know about and reason about theology and God. You can live this life of sacrifice, and yet all of these things have the ability to be going on while you're missing the main point. And again, Paul's using first person. He's like, this is me. This is me. And so he, he opens up this letter by saying, this is what it's all about. 
And, I, and my hope for our church, this new community, is that we would never graduate from love. We would never somehow move beyond that this is another sermon on love. Yes. My hope is the next sermon and the next sermon and every sermon I give will be about love because for Jesus, it's all about that. For Paul, it was all about that. He then moves on to our second point. He starts talking about the substance of love. And this is kind of an important question, what we spent the last few weeks talking about. Well, what is this kind of love? What, it, what is it? Because it's one thing to say we should all love, but then the reality is all of us in this room have a diff- slightly different definition of what love actually is. That's a problem. Because we can find ourselves doing things and be like, I'm the most loving person in the world. But I'm so thankful that the Bible does not let us it does not let us choose what love means for us, but tells us very specifically, this is what love is. But it doesn't, if you look back at the words of Jesus, it's not even telling us what love is, but it's telling us that this is the substance of everything. I want to read you a quote from an from author. His name is Bob Goff. And he wrote a book called Everybody Always. And he says this, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said it wouldn't be what we said, what we believed, or all the good we hoped to do someday. Nope. He said we would identify, our, we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think there's more to it. Love that. But there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. And... Well, I remember hearing that quote a while ago and being like, love is someone we become. And now I'm realizing that is such a true statement. If we are, the Christian life is us being formed into the image of Christ, we are becoming love. Love is not something that we just choose to do. It's not the words that we say. It is something we are being turned into because that is who Jesus is. That is the life that he lived and displayed for us. So Paul goes on, he starts to define it. Now, keep in mind, we've, we've talked about some of these things kind of covertly over the last few weeks without telling you this is what we've been doing. But as you read, I want you to pay close attention to what, what happens to your heart when you hear these words. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. Love never ends. I read this passage often. I've never read it once where I read that and being like, nailed it. All of them, got it. <laughs> I'm just doing so good at all of these things. Uh, and maybe you're here and you're like, no, I got it. A plus, A plus for me. Maybe you can come take the mic from, from me. So once again, this week, I'm meditating on this scripture. I'm thinking about, and specifically about, we just talked about the patience of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God displayed through Jesus. And I wanted to just kind of tell you a few thoughts that have come to mind as I've been meditating on this passage. Uh, 
Um, and I think this will be on your screen. Just again, just some thoughts on love. To, to truly love, we must seek to know. Like I said, I think oftentimes we fall into the temptation of thinking, well, if I just love people the way that I like to love people, then I'm good. Uh, but if you've ever been married or in a relationship, you know there's this thing called love languages, right? And how oftentimes do we find ourselves loving those people the way we want to be loved? And it's just not connecting. And the whole time that person is being like, well, I feel love this way. And they're probably giving love out of that way. And so one of the ideas is for us to love people well. We must seek to know. My, um, our second born daughter, Jubilee, turned eight on Friday. And Jubilee is one of the most interesting uh, little girls we've, we've ever met uh, because we are convinced that she's going to be a CEO one day. She, she runs our family. She loves lists. She goes to bed at night making lists for her day, the, the day tomorrow, right? Her, I think I mentioned this, like her morning to-do list includes pull-ups, uh, calling shotgun, she takes a shower every morning. She wakes up earlier than everyone, sometimes including me to make sure she's perfectly ready. And I mean, it's amazing. So for her birthday, we're like, okay, Jubilee, it's your day. What do you want to do today? And just with her eyes beaming with joy, she's like, can we just spend the whole day planning? <laughs> she's eight. We're like, <laughs> we're like yeah, Okay. <laughs> So she like wakes up, she gets all these papers and markers out and she starts making a list for Trader Joe's, for Ralph's, for Target, all these things. And we're like, like, man, you're like on top of it. And so, and she knows how every like 30 minutes, like how many hours left? And she's like, okay, we're on good schedule. So we go to all the stores, I'm serious. We get all the supplies that we need and we get home and we have six hours before her little friends come over. And she's like, she's like, okay, six hours. There should be enough time to decorate. And so she goes around. She tells me where every single decoration goes. She, had, she wanted everyone to make their own pizzas. And, their and I'm just like blown away that this, the way that Jubilee would receive love is a way that would drive some of you nuts. <laughs> and we watched her come to life. But in order to truly love, we have to seek to know. And in a serious sense, we've been walking with a friend of ours, a friend of Light Churches, um, who's coming out of homelessness. And the conversations that I used to be having with him have changed as I've gotten to know him. And it's taught me so much that what I used to think was loving really was just a way for me to make myself feel unguilty. But what really needed to happen is I needed to know someone. What are your deeper needs how do you receive love? How do I walk alongside you in this season? And I think for us, as we think about this list, as we think about loving others, it begins with this idea that we have to choose to know people. My second, my second thought is to truly know people, though, we must seek to listen and see. So it's one thing to feel like we think we know, but that requires us to be doing a lot of, a lot of looking, a lot of listening, a lot of intentional space to do that. Uh, we just sent a team of our people to um, El Paso, Texas to work there and in Juarez as people are coming, uh, trying to seek asylum and being granted asylum legally. 
but having massive needs, physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. And their job as they went there, one of the greatest jobs was to listen and see. Just go and listen. And to see what, what are the ways that we can truly bring love. Third point, to truly listen and see, we must seek to slow down. And this, this for me is where it gets like a little bit harder. See, because to truly love someone, you have to know them. And to know them, you need to be able to listen and see them. And to listen and see, you actually need to slow down. And so this is where I think oftentimes we're, we're tracking all of a sudden, we're like, oh, but this means I have to slow down my pace or add more margin or things like this. And this is, again, this I'm speaking to you just like Paul did first person. I'm trying to learn this. Is that in order for me to truly love people well, it, it begins from a place of choosing not to go so rapidly through my life that I don't even have the ability to see or hear what's going on around me. And that's for, that, that's for the stranger, but frankly, it's for the people that are closest to me as well. Um, the last couple of weeks, Jen and I have had a couple of opportunities to have some re- really great date night to get away for a couple of days. And we, we were amazed by how refreshed we felt and connected we felt simply by just slowing down and being with each other. And slowing down, it, it costs us. We know that's not the easiest thing to do. But this kind of leads me to my last thought, is to truly slow down, we must rest in God's love towards us. And the reason why those two are connected is oftentimes we don't slow down because we're fearful that if we do, things are gonna fall apart. We frantically strive to work, whether that's to gain the sense of achievement, whether it's this idea that performance will grant you love, or this idea that if you don't have your hands in everything and running 100 miles an hour, then things are gonna fall apart. And all of that begins to fade away when we learn to rest in God's love. This is why Sabbath is such a crucial principle for those who follow Jesus. It's not, it's not this legalism, it's this desperation. We need to just stop and slow down and say, okay, I can't love people well at the pace that I'm running, but I'll keep running the pace I'm running if I don't know how to rest in God's love. Which leads us to our, our final point this morning, which is the source of love. I mean, it's one thing, I think everyone's probably on the same page like now, like, yeah, love is significant. Love's kind of the mission, and this is how love is defined. I think we're all here, and maybe there's like a low level of guilt right now, like, eh, I should probably be loving people a little bit better, but none of it matters if we don't know where love comes from. None of it matters if we just think, I just got to do better. And after two weeks, you're back into your same patterns. We have to be able to identify the source of love. Quite simply put, 1 John 4, 19 and 1 John 4, 8 tell us, it says that we love because he, Jesus first loved us. It tells us that God is love. Think about John chapter 13. I'll summarize it for us for the sake of time, but you can go back and read it. Right, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and Peter comes to him and he's like, no, 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 don't wash my feet. And Jesus' response is so profound when he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Same author, the Gospel of John, the letters that John wrote later on in his life. 
gives us this amazing insight that, listen, you will not have the ability to love unless you first know how to receive love. You have to be able to receive the love of God in order to love people to your greatest potential. And so this morning, we're gonna be ending this message not talking about how we're failing at loving others because the reality is we all are. We're talking about how God has not failed in loving us. And as we meditate and focus on the reality that God has loved us perfectly, our prayer would become, would we start to love others like that? Would we begin to love God with everything we have and love our neighbors as ourselves? because God, you have shown us love. You've given us love. Our mission statement at our church is to receive and express the love and redemption of Jesus Christ. And those two words are so significant. It's to receive and express, but the order can't be mixed up. We have to receive love in order to express love. We have to learn what that means. So this is what I'd like to do, a little, little exercise this morning. I'm gonna read 1 Corinthians 13 again. And I want you, as you hear those words, patience, kindness, love always protects, things like that. I want you to see if a couple of words, one, two, three words stick out to you and you, and you just know like, I'm really not doing that well. I'm really not being patient right now. I'm really being irritable. I'm really not bearing with or forgiving other people. I, I don't know what it is. We're gonna read this list, but I want you to, to just pick out a couple that you immediately have a sensation like, oh, I need to work on that. But this is what, I, what we're gonna do. As soon as you can identify those word or two or three, we're gonna spend some time in prayer this morning and we're gonna ask that God would reveal how he is that towards us. So if, you, if you've been failing and being patient with others, we're gonna spend some time praying that you would understand that God's patient with you. If you feel like you have a hard time forgiving others, we're gonna spend some time this morning and you're gonna just say, God, thank you for forgiving me. So what, whatever area in your life you feel like you are lacking in love, we're gonna be filled up by God's love towards us this morning. And, and this, then this practice should be done all the time. So that we, the only way, the only way, and, and this might sound elementary to you, but we can't, there's nothing, there's no other thing we can go to, is we are called to love people radically, and that only happens when we understand and grasp how radically we've been loved. It has to work like that. So um, would you guys do me a favor? Would you guys just bow your heads for a moment? Brandon, Ashley, if you guys are here, you guys want to come up. You guys are welcome to. I'm going to sing um, one of the songs we sang this morning. I'm just going to go ahead and read this to you. And as I read it, we're just going to spend a minute. They're going to be playing some music. And I want you to be able to just receive, focus, and just ask, like, God, Show me that you love me with patience. Show me that you love me with forbearance. Show me that you protect me with your love. Because we need that. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy In other words, love is not jealous. Love isn't boastful 
proud. Love is not arrogant. Love isn't rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears or protects always. Love always believes or believes the best. Love always hopes. Love endures all things. Love never fails. any of these words or phrases stuck out to you, would we, at this time, would we just spend a couple of moments confessing that to God and then asking for him to show us his love in that specific way. This message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.